Thor Love and Thunder, FIFA Ultimate Team, and get on board. This is staying in. Dear Defra. Right, okay. Hello and welcome to the, the Staying In podcast. Hello everyone. My name's Sam. Hello. Peter Winton. Hi. Danny Frost. Hi. We've, ne- we've never done this. Dear Defra. Yeah. Not, not Deborah. So of course we all know that Defra is the department for... Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Uh, and this is for the UK. Uh, other countries will have their own departments. Okay. Dear Defra. Dear Defra. First, thank you and the whole team for all your good work in keeping the British people safe. <laughs> you, oh, you, you've, got, you've gone right in there with kind of the compliments, buttering them up. Yeah. This is the most white middle class you've ever sounded, Pete. It's Thanks. Great. Thanks. It, it tends to get me what I want. Yeah. First, thank you and the whole team for all your good work in keeping the British people safe when they're eating Yorkshire puddings, bangers and mash, pies and again mash, and all the lovely foods from this great nation mm-hmm. and abroad. Especially the beige <laughs> foods. Let's focus in right on those beige foods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what this is about, by the way, uh, listen to the previous episode. Yeah. This is this is not the episode to start listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I feel at this point we're just so deep in the in the cut. We just there's just no point explaining what this is about yeah, if you no. haven't listened to the previous episode. Yeah, exactly. Second, I have an important question that has been raised by one of the listeners of my podcast. Uh, mm. uh, <clears throat> whose podcast? My podcast. Go on, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my favourite bit of this email: is how you punctuated these next um, few words. That I would like to get full stop to full stop the full stop bottom full stop of. <laughs> Emphasis. It helps. <laughs> New line. Bold. <laughs> Should biscuits ever be kept in the fridge? Yes. Right, exactly. Now, this is what the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs is all about. Answering these questions. <laughs> Should biscuits be kept in the fridge? Go on, Sam, with the rest of the letter, please. For example, let's assume I have a chocolate digestive and let's also assume I'm enjoying a particularly warm British summer like we are at the moment. In this instance, clearly the chocolate topping on the digestive is susceptible to melting. I think it's fair to assume this would be the case and it's a risk I'm willing to take. But should I have chilled the classic McVitty Bicky? Excellent. (laughs) First, to avoid the worst of the sun-based heat damage or would refrigeration somehow spoil the glorious tea time snack? In addition, are there any biscuits that wouldn't fall under your general guidance to the question, should I keep a biscuit in the fridge? If so, what are they and why? I imagine a jammy dodger could take a significant change in ambient temperature, but I wouldn't fancy the chances of a party ring. Hope you can help me. All the best. Peter Willington. We're investigative journalism at its finest is happening. Um, (laughs) Now... As an update, I don't have a full response yet, but I do have an acceptance of the email and that my my question has been accelerated to a different department. So, so you know, we're, hopefully we'll be hearing something back from DEFRA and other food agencies in the very near future. Stayinginpod at gmail.com is your email address for questions uh, that you would like answered. Basically, we're picking up the baton from the likes of cereal and stuff like that and like This American yeah. Life. This is, this is, we're the next step in that. Mm-hmm. Talking of snacks, I went to the cinema at nine o'clock this morning 
and <laughs> and when I told my wife no uh, that I was going to be doing this, we turned to each other and asked each other the same question. But what are you going to eat? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, Number I one. have no idea. Number one question. It's uh, it's a little bit too early for um, a fizzy pick, pick and mix. Still too early for for a bit of chocolate, and definitely too early for a Tango Ice Blast. Oh yeah. If it's too early for a, a fizzy sweet mix, what about a non-fizzy sweet mix? So instead of going for your kind of uh, Haribo mm. Tang Fastix, why not you go for like a star mix, something a bit more subtle? The problem you've got there, Dan, is that the one thing that this great nation, this great world of ours has not yet nailed is replicating the specific springiness that gelatin provides. Um, yeah. For some reason... They've, for some reason, they've managed to to solve it for certain fizzy sweets. So like fizzy laces and some um, fizzy cola bottles. Really good. Bang on. Yeah. They've got them. And for some reason, don't need any gelatin. But for everything else, it's full of pork and beef. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't, (laughs) basically, we can't make... Synthesize gelatin. Yeah, tangfastics work, basically, uh, which is a, a bit of a disappointment. Um, jelly beans have been solved uh, recently, which is which is good to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, jelly babies still a problem, and you'd thought that it's the same yeah. filling. I was absolutely livid <laughs> when I saw that jelly. So I went into I, I shop at Sainsbury's. I know, uh, and uh, I, I went I went into the sweet aisle, and I found that the jelly beans were now vegetarian. I was like, oh, brilliant! Oh, jelly babies! I'll pick up a bag of those as well. Not vegetarian, and <laughs> I am a grown man, but I was. Utterly distraught at this idea that they've still not they've they've still not solved. How do you solve a problem like the jelly baby? Uh, is is something that many world scientists are, try, are still trying to figure out. I smell another investigation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I solved the issue by just having a cup of tea. Fine, but anyway, I went to the cinema to uh, ingest some more Marvel content. Um, and I've seen the brand new Marvel film, Thor, Love and Thunder. Is this Thor three or four? Four. Number four. Four. Number four. 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 It's it's the second Thor from Taika Waititi. Okay. I, now I think I like him because uh, he did, so he did the, previous one didn't he? he did the previous thor he did thor ragnarok and he's got quite a sort of dark a slightly black sense of humor like a like a did you, you saw jojo rabbit didn't you i didn't see that oh hunt for the world of people no what we did in the shadows no okay these are all very good films you should okay, watch well, I'm, sure, I'm sure i'm sure they are very good <laughs> but but yeah what i noticed was that the sort of sense of humor in the in the third movie uh, in the third Thor movie, was there were there there was like it was big and colourful and expressive and everybody was very kind of vibrant, but then every once in a while mm-hmm. there would be a sort of like underlying dark humour to everything. I think I think there was a lot of uh, I wouldn't necessarily say the humour would be dark or black humour. I think it very much the issue that I had kind of when Thor Ragnarok came out was the fact that it, it was constantly undercutting any seriousness with jokes and there's lots of jokes and very funny jokes don't get me wrong they are funny funny jokes I wouldn't necessarily say it's black, black comedy or dark comedy because it is just sometimes it's 
slapstick. Sometimes it's quippy. Sometimes it's it's a very distinct sense of humour. That's very mm. um, very much the the sense of humour of, of the director and kind of the writer Taika Waititi. It's, it's very you, when you see those things, you very much can point to him and say that's that's his that's, film. That's his kind of style of writing and style of kind of humour. So what? is the new thing in this one what's the new because th- three was like hey it's vibrant and technicolor and four like how do you how do you go beyond that interesting question just going back to what you said previously i think what you were getting at was not that his humor is quite dark or insidious in that way i think what taika does really really well is that he is able to catch you unawares in a moment of humour yeah, and shift the tone wildly between something being very, very funny and then something being very, very serious suddenly without you realising it's happening or without you sort of predicting that it's going to happen. And with Thor, Love and Thunder, what's the new thing? Well, I guess just saying what's gone on the trailers, the new thing here is that Molnir is back. Cool. And it is being wielded by um, Thor's old flame, Dr. Jane Foster. Hmm, okay. So this is um, aping the um, the storyline of the mighty Thor, which you bought me, Peter, once as a present. Did I? It was nice of me. Yes. The mighty Thor hmm. uh, by Jason Aaron and Russell um, Dortmund. And Jason Aaron is a bit like Dan Slott in the same way that Dan Slott was very well known for his run on Spider-Man. Okay. I think Dan Slott went for 10 years, do I want to say? And Jason Aaron wrote Thor for seven years, which for a comic book writer is exemplary length of time to be writing a comic book for. And Jason Aaron wrote Thor really, really well. And then he wrote the storyline where Jane Foster um, essentially becomes worthy enough to hold Molnir and becomes known as the mighty Thor. And it's, it's, it's an exemplary comic. And it's at this point I've really got to praise um, Amazon Prime and Comixology. So if you've got Amazon Prime, it's really worth checking these comics out when... Um, these films start coming out from Marvel because they've started to release a lot of these comics for free that you can just rent out through Amazon Prime. That's cool. So um, when Doctor Strange was out, they released loads of comics that you could just download and essentially borrow from Amazon Prime that included Doctor Strange. The first two volumes of The Mighty Thor are now available for free from Amazon Prime just to download and read and borrow. And they are exemplary. Like, it really goes to interesting places because not only it's like what happens if thor is no longer thor and like his identity crisis but also there's a lot that it deals with in terms of misogyny and identity and feminism within that enclave of 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 norse gods where they can't accept that the new thor is is a woman which is all a roundabout way of saying that's kind of the new thing of this uh, movie and in terms of tone and style and direction there is not much that it veers from in terms of the previous Taika Waititi outing he's not doing anything much different 
to what he did with Ragnarok, which is either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you felt about Ragnarok and how you feel about, you know, kind of where the MCU's going. I think it'll be kind of comforting for lots of people to see something that's quite familiar in terms of something pre-Endgame. And in fact, it actually does go out of its way a little bit to address some of the ways that Thor was portrayed during Endgame. Mm -hmm. Insert dad bod (laughs) perceptions here. Other than that, it's a pretty, pretty decent film. It's all right. You strike me as being uh, much kind of less enthused than you were when kind of Ragnarok came around. I just think that we've been treated recently to having lots of different directors coming in and doing their things with lots of different properties that it does feel a little bit like old Marvel, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Like, like or loathe what Chloe Zhao did and what Sam Raimi did and what Destin Daniel Cretton did with um, Shang-Chi... It's undeniable that they've all had their own unique stamp and ideas on what the superhero genre would be, and that's why that's why Ragnarok is 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 such an outlier because it was kind of like yeah, that was one of the first yeah, and it's not to say that the movie is is bad, it just doesn't have that same enjoyment of seeing someone new taking the character on for the first. For the first time, by the sounds of it, from from what you're saying, it sounds as if kind of it, it's lost a bit of the the risk or the danger that you kind of you felt mm-hmm. with a Ragnarok because it was so kind of left field. And I think as much as kind of like I perhaps got a little bit annoyed at it or something like that, because and that's that was all on me because it was just there were elements of the film that I was looking for it to be slightly different, and obviously that's just not how the film was. I do think that kind of especially when you look at those first two Thor films. Um, uh, Thor and Thor: The Dark World. Like when you act, when you then look at Thor Ragnarok and you see his appearances in kind of later films like you know, Infinity War and Endgame and stuff like that, you can see that actually the Ragnarok is that's where they kind of found the character of Thor. Like when you compare it mm-hmm. to those early films, like you can watch those first two films, and you're like this character doesn't quite click. It's not quite right. And then you see him in Ragnarok. And I get it, and this is to do with the actor as well. Like Chris Hemsworth is such a phenomenally yeah. brilliant comedic actor that it just suits everything perfectly and so i think that's when that all those kind of things came together with ragnarok that did just work especially with that character um even i mean i i I would say that even though i had issues with him i can fully understand that but i think as you say it's it's just a difficult thing that he's only he's not going to completely reinvent it again because it's the same characters, it's the same world. You wouldn't reinvent it again because you have a story to tell and you have a certain... And let's face it, Taika Waititi like, has a very distinctive style of film. Like, it, it, different genres and stuff like that, but kind of, you know you're watching a Taika Waititi film when you're watching a Taika Waititi film. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Like, He's just got a very... You, when you watch a Tarantino film, you know you're watching a Tarantino film. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's not going to completely reinvent the wheel when... like it worked so brilliantly that first time around and it suited the kind of the mesh of the, the style with the character blended so perfectly. He's not going to change that again, which is unfortunate when we're looking at Marvel taking these risks, taking these left turns and like 
similar. I mean, you you did have it with Doctor Strange, but this is obviously one of the first ones that's come out that has had a real continuum continual from pre end game there were three films before end game and now this is kind of a, f- a fourth one after it so there is a lot of history there that you've seen the character a lot and the the, the director doesn't have the freedom like a close or like a um with, with shang chi different new characters that they can put their own stamp on um and they can say this is how i want to tell this story because they're brand new and so i can understand why perhaps you didn't fall in love with it perhaps like you like you did with it first time around i i think you're right when when you say like that there was no like risk taking there's no real um there's not really a brave thing that tyke is doing in terms of um really addressing or um doing with the character and that's and that's you know that's you know fair enough like he still tells a decent thor story and i think that as you said in like in the podcast last time when we talk about miss marvel i think that we're getting to a point where with marvel films where more than ever they're not really being made with us in mind like as like a mid-30s guy i think that where it started to where people are now growing up with the films i definitely think they're catering for that sort of 12 to 15 audience more and more because this is a really good kids movie i just think like the the same risks and the same um stakes are just not there that's going to really entertain myself but for for a kid for someone younger definitely it's just i, I just think that the audience is completely skewing away from from what we want when endgame was rolling around i'd kind of said that i was gonna perhaps step off the the train because it's such an in, like keeping up with kind of the marvel stuff can be very intensive and like i think probably a lot of people did that and so when you've reached that kind of that pinnacle and i don't mean say like i mean obviously i, I love endgame but just the the notion of having like 20 films bringing up to this big climax and the climax paying off like that's the when you've reached that high bar and then you have to start again. Like it's very difficult to reach to to get that far. And so I think kind of there is that element of it needing to be for a newer newer audience that perhaps weren't right there at the start because it's like ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. Like that perhaps weren't there then, um, and they're they're starting afresh. And so the people like us who there is an element of tiredness with kind of like the the the, the kind of films, and that's just that's just natural. That's not to say that the films are tired, but kind of like as a viewer kind of like I've seen so many of these things, you pick up on the tropes that kind of happen continuously. That's why we like it when new directors, and new things come in. Um, but that's perhaps why that, as you say, they're, they're, they're leaning towards a, a different audience. Um, now, not the fact that we're not, we're not suited to that anymore, but kind of like, well, we've seen this already. So we're not as engaged as perhaps we might've been. Yeah. And I, and I think it's perfectly, natural as as an audience to be that way i think that Mm. this is probably a good time for me to plug a book that i've been reading at the moment called all of the marvels by douglas walk and pete i'm going to send this to you or at least recommend this to you um as an audible book and basically the author has read practically every single marvel comic ever released 
27,000 of them. Hmm. And and the book basically talks a little bit, like explores like the history of Marvels and then it'll break down important comics of a certain character and explain the the context that that comic was being written or explain you know like the the friendship between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby yeah. and Steve Ditko but it's an exceptionally well written book in terms of trying to capture what it's like to engage with a a medium that has gone on for so long reading this book has made me really understand that how you interact with comics is meant to be a kind of dipping in and out relationship. Like you find your writer, you find your character, you find your storyline that you really connect to and you jump on board for it. And then what comes after or what came before might not appeal to you at that time, at that moment, but that's fine because the comics will provide something else or there will be something else other outside of that to enjoy. And I feel like at the moment, that's where Marvel is kind of getting to me. Like in a few years, it just might not be my thing at my time, but that is fine because it's not always meant to be and it's not, and it shouldn't always be my thing. They shouldn't always be catering to my thing. Like that's the joy of comics is that there's always another writer. There's always another take on characters. There's always another way to proceed with a story. And the book starts off with an amazing thing where it talks about well how do you enjoy comics like do you start from one peter and read (laughs) up to twenty-seven thousand? and the writer uses an excellent analogy and he says you know imagine like the history of marvel comics as a mountain if you started climbing that mountain from the bottom you'd never get to the top the top would always seem like it's in reach but you'd never get there because comics are always being produced. They're always, you know, the mountain is just getting higher and higher and higher. The way to enjoy comics is to just jump into the mountain and bury yourself into it and find a way out. And what you find with the comics culture is that people are built, people find their way out and they build these little balconies attracting you to them. Mm. So, and I found that like a really interesting idea. And it's the same with, you know, Marvel and kind of what we, what kind of what we do on this show um, is that we're kind of like going, right, these are things that are appealing to me. If you're this kind of persuasion, dig into the mountain and come and find this passage and come and find me on this terrace and we'll show you down this line. And like, I think that that is the wonderful appeal of Marvel. And because they've they've got to this point now with their TV and cinema output where it is becoming this mountain, and it is becoming this space where pretty soon you're just going to have to be like, just dive in. You can't really start at Iron Man or at Hulk anymore. You've just got to dive in and find your character and find your and find your piece. And that's yeah. the best way to, to enter into the genre. I have been uh, playing a lot of a new game that I think you guys might be quite excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say when I say a lot, I mean I've been playing it a lot. Like hours have already got into it, and I think you'll find it exciting because, at its core, mm. one could argue that it is basically a deck building game. 
Mm, okay. Hmm. As you're aware, I'm not a fan of deck building games, but the game I've been playing an awful lot of is FIFA Ultimate Team. Okay. So, yes. So, uh, FIFA Ultimate Team, which is a mode of FIFA, which has been around in some form since, I think, like FIFA 09. Um, and I think properly kind of was became part of, like, the main kind of franchise in, I think, 2012. Um, and I've, I've looked at it a few times over these. Like, I mean, I'm a huge FIFA fan, like, I'm not particularly great at it, but I I love FIFA. I get it most years just because like I I feel the need to get it. I like usually I hold off and hold off and hold off, and then probably either me or Sam say, "Have you uh have you seen FIFA's on on special? <laughs> oh, uh, should we buy it? Yeah, okay, we'll buy it. And then we play like five or six times, and then we never we never play each other again. Um, but that's a fairly common occurrence every year. Okay. And I've always kind of been kind of vaguely interested in Ultimate Team without really knowing what it was. Like, I, I don't really understand the whole loot box thing with video games. That's never interested me. I'm very much the kind of person who's like, I've bought a game. Give me the game. Don't ask me for more money. Now I'm in the game. I've spent a lot of money. Now give me the content. So, yeah, I'm, I'm against that. And I've always just kind of been a bit confused. And I've tried a couple of times in recent years to actually give it a go. Um and I've just like I've got like not far into it, and just like given up, I've thrown my hands up, and said no, I can't do it. I can't understand it. It's really complicated, and I don't understand what I'm doing. So this year, mm-hmm. I tried again, but this year I had help. <laughs> so I'm going to give a little shout out to my 14 year old nephew, Hugh Jones, who explained to me in great detail and answered mm-hmm. all my questions on what FIFA Ultimate Team is, or or foot, as the youth call it. Foot, foot, F U T. So yeah, so and it and it basically when you when you boil it down, it's kind of a deck building game. So the idea of uh, FIFA Ultimate Team it is obviously FIFA. So you you play games, but the idea of the mode is that you build your team, you build your squad of players, and right. you build them through um, buying or earning or kind of being rewarded with uh, packs. And packs are basically like the little packs of panini stickers that you used that I used to get when I was on as young. So I'd always okay. have like a, a football sticker book and you'd get them. And that's, that's basically the game is built around that idea. Like the packs look like the sticker packs that you used to get. Yeah. And in each of them, depending on which one you get, you might, there are v- various different types of packs um, and they will include players or they might include um, different consumables, which might be, contracts and stuff and as i'm saying this to you now i'm saying all this different stuff it's getting more and more complicated and this was always the thing that i was kind of like i don't understand it just why can't it just be simple because <laughs> there is an element of like you can have some players on loan where you only got them for a certain number of games you have to certain players run out of contracts so you then have to give them new stuff and all this stuff and everything so i was like please just explain to me how this all works and so the core basis is you have to build a team of 11 players who have what have what they call chemistry. So chemistry is determined by multiple factors of their nationality, what team they play for, what league they play in. So if you have 11 players, all the same nationality, all playing the same league, it's going to be perfect chemistry. If you bring players in from here, there and everywhere, they're going to have terrible chemistry and they won't play as well together. So there is a... a a game mechanic kind of effect on that. So once I understood that, I started to kind of like, okay, that makes a bit more sense. And I started understanding, okay, so 
a standard a player can maybe play 10 games before you have to use up a consumable to use him for another 10 games. And those kind of things, as you play it, you learn it. And obviously you're still playing FIFA all this time. So there's still normal FIFA that you're playing. But once I got over that, then I was kind of like, okay, but another thing that I don't like doing is I don't like competitive play. Never interested me. I don't like multiplayer competitive. None of your Call of Duties. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to play with people around the world. I want mm -hmm. to play either by myself or with my friends. That is it. And mm -hmm. so the concept of playing FIFA against people around the world who are all going to be better than me had held no interest for me whatsoever. But then I found out that there is part of the Ultimate Team where you just play against the computer and you earn points and you earn XP and you earn coins from just doing that. You don't you don't earn quite as many as playing against real people, but you yeah. can just play against the computer and you kind of play against AI kind of controlled versions of people's teams around the world. So you are kind of playing against other people, but there's actually not a physical person on the side of the controller. And so once I got all that, I was like, okay, I understand the core mechanics. I understand kind of the rules and I don't have to play against competitive people this all makes sense now and then you start to think okay i can i'm earning money now i can buy players oh this is interesting and slowly very slowly i've built up hour after hour after hour more and more and more and like fifa anyway i can put loads of time into fifa but this is just kind of it's given me a new kind of lease of life with fifa because it's it's like okay i i want to get a new left winger so either I wait till I earn a pack and then randomly get get one. I might get someone good. Or I just play match after match after match, earn lots of money, and then I can go and buy someone who I really want. And I might have to spend like 30,000 coins that I've earned playing it for 10 hours. And then I can Ooh. buy this player. And then I've got him again. So then my team is a little bit better and it gets and it builds up and builds up and builds up. And I've just really, really been enjoying kind of this whole new side to it. And it is, I totally understand now why it's addictive like mm. there have been talk of them just making it like pulling it away from fifa to be its own fully priced because it's a it's a massive part of the game like it's a huge part of the game that i just never played like there is more the kind of if you were to like look at the percentage of what a fifa game is it's at least 50 percent of the game is revolves around the ultimate team but i just never played it before and so it's it's really kind of interesting now to kind of experience this and it is it is great isn't it? but it is fifa and it's just really kind of there is an app that you can use there's i mean i'm i'm not even giving you all the information all the different parts of this mode because it's so complex and there's loads of different stuff there's challenges that you can do and you can trade players and exchange players in order to get new things and everything and there's rankings and points and milestones and foundations and all these different rewards that it's very difficult. And that's what th that's what held me back for so long that I just couldn't break that in. And so it wasn't until my 14-year-old nephew sat basically sat there and said, okay, this is how it works. Okay, okay, this is this is what you do. And then you do it. And then let, like afterwards I'll talk to him and be like, oh so how's your team going? I was like, oh yeah, I've got my I've got I've got this guy, I've got this guy. So like, oh yeah, I've got him. Okay. You've spent a long time. Yes. Do you feel the draw to spend money? No, I understand the draw to spend money. Right. I understand the draw to spend money because like I, I, have, I feel very strongly that I've bought, I've spent my money. Mm. 
I don't want to, I, I shouldn't have to, I don't believe in the kind of the spend to win type thing. I'd like, sure. I've, I've spent my money. You should have a mechanic within your game that rewards me from playing the game. And it does, it does have that. Absolutely. It does have that. And I have been able to get lots of good players and spend lots of money. And, and I've not had to spend kind of my own money. But there is that thing of like, okay, I want this player. I want specifically, I want to get this player because the way I've structured my team, he's going to work best because he's got the right nationality. He plays for the right team. He's in all that stuff. But I don't have enough money for him now. But I could spend some of my own physical money and that would get me the requisite number of coins that I need and I could just get him right now. Mm. And that that thought does kind of tick over and you're like, I, I I get now why people would put money in this. And it's only my own principles that I just feel very strongly about not doing it that holds me back. Like you can buy a a random pack if you want to, and you can spend X amount of money on that. And obviously like the the better packs with the better cards will cost you more money. There's always, but there always, always the, the random chance of it. There is a random chance that you could get a fairly bog standard pack, but get a fantastic player in it. Cause it is, it's, your sticker books, your sticker package, you might get a shiny and you might get the one thing that you're looking for, the best player in the league. You might get him. I like some of the best players I have have just come from a normal pack. I'm like, Oh, brilliant. Now my team is even better. Um, but I, I've, I've never, I've seen like people on YouTube. and be like, I spent a thousand pounds on FIFA. Let's see what I got. And like my brain was kind of like, well, I don't understand. Why are you doing mm. that? It makes no sense to me. And they get very excited. Now I don't. I still don't understand why you'd spend a thousand pounds on it, but I do understand why people would spend money on it, and especially because it's because it does take up an awful lot of your time. And like I do, like I just I'm not sp- playing loads and loads of games. I'm not playing ten, fifteen g- games a night. It takes like forty five minutes to an hour to get through like two, three games, just to kind of go through that. So there is an element of kind of time sink into it. And I've just, I've been just, I realized I've been playing hours and hours into it without really realizing. And suddenly I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, my team is pretty good now because I've spent a long time doing it. But at the core of it, you're collecting cards and you're putting specific cards together to make a good deck that is going to improve your chances of winning. So talking about this deck building thing, how does that actually manifest itself in the gameplay because you're still playing the game so usually when you're deck building it's all about increasing the odds of creating certain synergies with cards in your deck i guess like you know like chemistry um between between um different players and so in a deck building game it's all about increasing the chances that you're going to pull certain cards out of your deck which are going to work really well with other deck cards that you've got which is going to give you lots of power increased turn speed bloody bloody bar all that kind of stuff but how does that actually manifest itself in the game if you're still playing the game so so what i'm kind of meaning is if you've got a midfielder who's got bad chemistry with an attacker does that mean when you pass the ball to the attacker, he's just going to miss the pass because they've got bad chemistry, but you're still controlling it? I don't understand how those two things coalesce. Well, if you think about it, when you're, if you think about it, when you're playing kind of FIFA, you're obviously, at majority of the time, 
at any given time you're controlling one player. Say if you've got the ball, you're controlling the player with the ball. You're not necessarily, there is obviously a feature of FIFA where you can, but you're not necessarily controlling the other players around you. So their levels of movement might be in such a way that they're actually not moving in exactly the right way. They're not finding the right spaces for you. And it's kind of just that, um, the idea of chemistry being how are they going to how are the players working around you so in terms of you talk there as you're describing kind of get bringing in specific cards um in order to um improve your chances or to, to create systems and stuff like that i mean that's basically the similar kind of thing that you're doing here you're creating cards i'm looking for um a left winger and i need him to be fast so i need to get a specific type of winger because that's the way i want to play so i want him to play a certain way he has to be a certain level of chemistry because i've got another player in another part of the team that can do the long ball so i'm building up the way i want to play and i'm signing the players and getting the cards that will work for me they have all these different um limited edition cards where players have higher attributes and stuff as well so it's not always just specifically a single player will have a single score you might get highest pace on another one so it's about kind of understanding how you want your team to play because obviously you can choose any formation that you want there's lots of different um tactics that you can do as as you can with with fifa but the nature of it when you're factoring in the chemistry like if i'm if i just throw loads of players in i might have a chemistry of say 50 out of 100 and like my team's just not going to kind of gel very well and when i hit the ball they may not have made the right run that i that i want them to that i want them to play because you're not fully in control of all 11 players at the same time when you're got a maximum chemistry they are in a much more fluid system and they're obeying all of the instructions that you have applied to them much better and so it does it does work better and you do find it more difficult to kind of succeed with a team that has less chemistry because you haven't got the right players in the right place combined so it's not just a case of he's the best player he's messy he's mbappe i'm i've put him there so now i will win like if he's surrounded by people who aren't going to work for him then he's not going to be as good as he could be and so you do have to factor in all these different elements in order to make it work which has just added a whole new level to to fifa like i usually i used to always just play the career mode and the career mode's still great i i still play it now but like it's 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 a whole new level of, of FIFA that I've suddenly, like after like 2009 it came out, so like 13 years? After 13 years of it being around, like I've only just discovered it. Yeah, but to me it just sounds like Championship Manager. You're doing the same things. Well, there are, you, are doing, you are doing similar things, but like you are and you're not because you, you can say, yes, I'm just bringing in a certain player, but you've got to factor in a lot of different things. And like you can boil everything down to base levels but at the end of the day you're you're looking at the stats of players and how they work together and when you describe deck building you were describing exactly how i feel about the fifa ultimate team that you're putting specific cards together so they work together in a system that's going to give you an advent advantage when you're playing against someone else that's championship manager isn't it you pick a team that's going to beat the other team well yeah but then you but that's but i've i've just i've just compared it and i've just given you the same explanation of you just given for a deck building game I'm, I'm not saying it's not i'm not I'm, I'm not saying it's not i'm just saying it just sounds like fifa ultimate team just sounds like championship manager but with lots of loot boxing and grinding that you don't need to do in championship manager but i think one of the things that i think is is key here though is that i can tell you see where where sam's coming from on this one like if you were to play champ manager or whatever 
um, you're still putting in time. Sure, mechanically the game is different, right? Like the actual core of the game itself is 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 different. I don't think anybody's making that argument. But to let's say, for example, you know, you pick um, what's a bad football team? I've heard Manchester United aren't very good anymore. Are they? They're bad now. Are they? Yeah. True. Yeah. Average. Uh, average. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe a worse team than that. You know what? I'll pick Bristol Rovers because I think they're the lowest lowest one out of Bristol. Uh, good old Bristol Rovers. So let's say, for example, I wanted to take Bristol Rovers and I wanted to take them all the way up to the 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 Champions League. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Excellent stuff. So, um, <laughs> if I wanted to do that without doing like any sorts of cheats or anything like that, I would probably need to spend in game time improving Bristol Rovers, eking out small little victories, small little wins, you know, getting higher up the table, maybe winning a, you know, getting a, 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 a you know, promoted to a, a new league where there's more money, more opportunity. Um, you're able to then attract better players into the team itself. You can then start to build out the, 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 the I'm sure, the synergy of that team with training and putting the putting the right squad mm-hmm. together you know you keep going keep going keep going imagine that you've got you know you know you can play as bristol rovers for like i don't know 70 years or 80 years or whatever it is but um you keep going keep going and you're you are building this ultimate team out from essentially you know a set of not particularly um uh brilliant footballing people um and so you would then build that up and then maybe at the end of it you have this kind of, as I say, like this kind of ultimate team. Sure, the actual gameplay of moving numbers around in a, in a spreadsheet and, and moving bars left and right and so forth, that is different from what FIFA is. FIFA is much more hands-on representation of the game of football. But you are still yeah. spending time in the game to improve an average team into a more successful team and the mechanic in which it does that the way that it hands those out even if you're not paying for those things it is it is more through random uh, a bit more random chance than what championship manager does which is a little bit more focused on you have access to better stuff not because you randomly got lucky well i'm sure part of that part of it is that um but mostly because you you've gone up a league, for example, or you're attracting more talent, or you're a better manager in general, and therefore the game is rewarding you with that. Well, with this one, if you generate lots and lots and lots of the soft currency, if you open enough packs, you'll probably get you might end up with something that no Bristol Rovers is ever going to be able to have, right? Like you're never going to be able to get Lionel Lionel Messi. Yeah, doing well, sort of close enough. Lionel Blair, Lionel Messi. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Same person. Same person. Uh, you're never going to attract a Messi to Bristol Rovers, but with uh, the magic of loot crates, you could. See what I mean? Like, and that's not to denigrate FIFA Ultimate Team, because the system in which you are building the team out, there is that kind of almost like an RPG element of like moving everything forward, you getting better over time. It's just that the way that they hand that stuff out is handled in a slightly different way. 
I um I saw a Bill Bailey sketch the other day where he was explaining that we eat chocolate digestives the wrong way up. Right. So he's explaining. So Dan, if you eat a chocolate digestive, where is the chocolate? When you're putting it in your mouth, opening up your mouth, where's the chocolate? It's it's on the top. It's on the top. It's on the top. So chocolate's on the top, writing's on the bottom. Okay, makes sense. When you eat a plain digestive, where's the writing? The writing's on the top. Writing's on the top. <gasps> So you're eating chocolate digestives the wrong way around. Well, maybe I'm eating the normal digestive the wrong way around. Mm, that's possible. You're eating something the wrong way around. <laughs> well, not necessarily <laughs> because the, the, the shape that the chocolate adds to the chocolate digestive changes the, 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 what I'm dealing with here. But not by much, Dan. Not by no. much. Because, because there, is, there is an advantage from having the chocolate at the bottom because your tongue makes contact with the chocolate first it's like whenever i eat a crisp but i always analyze the crisp first to see which side <laughs> contains the most salt and vinegar flavor yeah but you're strange like that just just to challenge that so what do you th- which is the uh the the better treat for your taste buds is it the digestive or is it the chocolate it's the chocolate isn't it yeah so what you want to do is you want to put it chocolate face up that way the first hit is a digestive biscuit it's nice it's tasty it's still delicious mm-hmm. and then you get the additional hit of the chocolate. If you go the other way around, you hit the chocolate and then it's a letdown. Do you know what? I fully agree with this. I fully agree with this assessment, actually. I was yep. sort of thinking, where's Dan going with this? And actually, no, <laughs> he's right. I don't want to live. I don't want to live the lifestyle of somebody who is who has to have the chocolate first. I don't want to I don't I don't want to feel like my life is moving that fast that I have to have the chocolate hit. Because oh, it's got to get, in the, get there immediately. I totally agree with Dan on this. You go with the digestive bit first because it's the you're eating it and then the chocolate stuff comes in. There's like a reward almost. Yeah, but you're the person who eats food separately on a plate. Listen, and you say, yeah. you, you quote, quote you. Yeah. When I asked you, like you were eating like a burger or something like that, and yeah. I was just like... And Chris does this as well, and it really bugs me. He like if I ever make Chris a burger, he snaffles all the chips first, and then he eats a burger. Yeah. And ask him why do you do that? And he says, and you said the same to me, Pete. Oh, because I want the best thing first. No, no, that's what he said. <laughs> what okay. I tend to do is, and I've tried, I've really tried to get out of this, partly through political pressure from Alex and you uh, but uh, most mostly because I do realize it is it is slightly um uh, 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 not odd but like it's definitely a kook uh, and I've got enough of those already so um uh, I actually I usually go to the the thing that I'm going to enjoy the least first because if I eat my vegetables first which you know generally they're not the best thing right? If you eat the vegetables first, well, you get all the nutrients, all the good stuff straight out the gate. And then if you've got to leave something, sure, you've got to leave something really, really good. But that will encourage you to eat it anyway, right? So rather than you get to the end and you're like, mm, cold bit of broccoli, I don't really, really want that. Whereas if I, whereas a cold chip, I'd be like, I like that. There's a, there is a method. There's absolutely a method. I, no, the other way around is madness, the, the, but there is a method to mine. <laughs> 
the, the other way around is just eating your food together as it's served and the food complementing each other like it like it's yeah, actually Sam, cooked yeah, to no, do. Sam, I'm, I don't disagree with you. What I'm doing is not what I should be doing and I'm trying desperately. <laughs> and I'm glad that you brought this up in front of literally hundreds and hundreds of people listening now knowing that I'm a, I am a bit of a weirdo when it comes to eating food. So thank you very much for bringing that up. I've, I've got an idea for you. I've got an idea. I know how to crack this. Right. Your partner is excellent at building and creating things. Sure. So I think I think they should create you mm. a a food wheel. And on the food wheel it should have numbers and it could be one of those clicky clacky things that goes around that, that you know, they're exciting. They're a thrill. There's yeah. one of them at the um um Bristol Craft Beer Festival oh, yeah. for the was it for the Stella stand yeah, or the yeah, it was, it was stand some or, like what kind of craft beer festival was this yeah no it was a weird stand it was like mm. it was Budweiser it was a Budweiser stand and even though I'm not the biggest fan of like Budweiser I was like I really want to go on that clacky wheel because <laughs> it just looked like fun yeah yeah but like and then what you can do is you put like numbers one to four and you make sure what you're eating has at least four components and then you rotate the clacky thing around and you eat first whatever it lands on i'll be honest this sounds like quite a lot of work sam like this does sound like quite an amount of work and it also still ends up with meeting one ingredient at a time <sighs> yeah. all you've all this accomplishes is it eats them in a random order and that i've got to go through quite a lot of plyboard <laughs> for context pete the way you the way you eat your food is the exact same way that my four year old eats his food because he does that as well. Here's the thing, Dan. Here's the thing, Dan. What do you think about? Do you like your four year old? I do like my four year old, and I like you. Do you love your? <laughs> what do you, you, what, that you, is a loaded do you, question. Do you love your four year old, Peter? I do love my four year old, and Peter, I love you as well. Great stuff. Great stuff. I love him in spite of his eating habits, <laughs> <laughs> just like you. <laughs> Tell me about all the lovely board games that you that you've been playing. And, uh... <laughs> all the lovely board games. Well, I noticed that um, a couple of games that I've been playing recently have actually been nominated oh. for awards. Ooh. And I was like, oh, oh, get on board was uh, it, it won the People's Choice Award. Oh. I was like, wow, that's incredible. And another game I've been playing called Trek Twelve Himalaya was one of the recommended games as part of the um the Spiel des Jahres nominations like not one of the the big 3 that is in the running to 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 win it but as part of like the recommended um bracket so i thought i'd share those two games because i think you know they're obviously rather good because they've been nominated for stuff so they're both kind of roll and write games yeah well done sam <laughs> tick tick staying in bingo whatever <laughs> <laughs> but um, they both do something different with the genre that has like come on leaps and bounds so much to the fact that Twilight Imperium is coming out with its roll and write game later this year. Mm-hmm. And I looked into pre-ordering it and it's about £55. And I was like, oh my, <laughs> that is... <laughs> That is a lot of money for a roll and write yes, game. Don't get me wrong, at that price point, I'm interested because it's like, it's got to be doing something to warrant that price tag. Anyway, that's my own personal struggles. I'm working through it. Don't worry. I'm fine. Send help. So, 
Get On Board is a re-implementation of a Japanese game called Let's Make a Bus Route by a designer called um, Sashi. And this has been published by Yellow and there's been new artwork by Monsieur Z. And it's like a roll and write game, but it's a flip and write game. And how Get On Board works is, is that you have two maps, New York and London, and what you've got to do is make the most efficient bus route through one of these cities. Now, what I really like straight from the off of, of this game is that it looks gorgeous. If you're playing a one to two player game, you play in New York. If you're playing a three to four, then you play in London mm-hmm. with the idea being that um, New York's a more condensed and grid-like based city. So it's a bit more simpler to go around where the London's a bit more sprawling and um, confusing to get around so it suits a bigger player count mm. and where this game sort of differs from other uh, roll and write games that I've played is that you have a shared space that you're writing in in inverted commas because you're playing on a New York or a London which you are all contributing to so what happens is you play a card off the deck and that tells you a number and then on your sheet, that number will um, refer to a specific sort of Tetris-style shape. Right. And then you take little wooden rectangles, like little wooden cuboids from you, and you put them down in the city. So you're literally building a bus route through the streets of New York, and you do that, and then the player next to you will do the same thing. So you're all contributing to this these bus routes sprawling through the, the city. And to be sort of boil it down to its simplest um, terms, what you're effectively trying to do is build a bus route through the city that works at its most efficient best. So there's like there's there's iconography on there that represents a student. So if you stop off at the student, you'll pick up the student, and then the idea is, can you get the student to a university? you'll find you'll pick up tourists and can you get a tourist round some of the um, sightseeing sites of New York or London and that same theme kind of goes on you're kind of just trying to make the most efficient use of what you're getting dealt off the deck and then what you're actually putting in to the board it's really interesting that when the People's Choice Award because I didn't think it it would and um, um, by that I mean that like it didn't really blow me away when the first time I've played it but subsequent times afterwards it's been exceptionally interesting to really delve into that puzzle right and have a shared puzzling experience with other people around the table and I think that it provides something that other role and rights don't do where it is a shared environment that you're playing within, which I feel is quite is quite rare. And I think that's what a lot of people have latched onto with this game where it feels like you're really competing for for space and it's not just I'm rolling a number, putting my head down and, and putting things in. So it's it's a yeah, it's a really enjoyable game for for a really like quite slim box of what it is and then Mm. and then Mm. trek 12 himalaya comes on (laughs) 
this on the surface is a lot more of a standard roll and write you know roll two dice that have got two numbers on them and then you put those numbers in little circles and seemingly that's it but but Dan but Pete here's the rub mm. so the game tries to simulate in a way the act of climbing a mountain how the game scores is by creating lots of different links of ascending numbers or lots of different groups of the same number so the idea being i think this is how it's meant to be interpreted like the ascending numbers are you going up the mountain and the groups of numbers are the same are almost like the 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 camps in on the mountain where you where you'd stay and sort of shelter for the night and then you carry on going up the mountain to get to the top i think that's kind of like how it's meant to be perceived but what trek 12 does that is keeping me coming back again and again and again to play it is not the fact that it has a really robust solo mode not the fact that it's just a really robust game and not the fact that it it's it has a a vastly well thought out legacy mode mm. like there's full on like envelopes in there full of new maps and new equipment and new ways to play and engage and like power up cards and all this kind of stuff the core interesting part of it is just again a really interesting puzzle where every time you roll a dice you got to make an interesting decision about what you're going to take because you either take the highest numbered rolled the lowest numbered rolled the two numbers added together the two numbers subtracted or the two numbers multiplied by each other mm. So every time that you're making a roll, you're trying to always make a judgment on what you need and where you need to be right then and there, but also a couple of turns in the future. Because, and here is the other twist, you only have a certain amount of those options available to you. So I think it's four or five times you can pick those options. And as soon as you've taken four of the highest number you can no longer take the highest number when you roll the dice so the game always comes to a crunch point where you're left multiplying numbers together or just taking the lowest or having to add them together and taking that as as the sum mm. and as someone who's played a lot a lot of roll and writes like that is the thing that always keeps me interested like a mechanic that is so simple in its execution but yet yields so many different responses and, and variables that just keeps you coming back for more and more uh, well oh. what another lovely episode that's it that's it. That's it. That's everything. <laughs> That's a wrap, folks. That's a wrap on staying in. Uh, 155 and out. Nice big round number. Yeah, nice big round number. Um, I am boiling. So uh, I'm going to go away now. Because uh, it is. Because the thing is, what I, what I have to do is, I have this really nice John Lewis <laughs> fan in my corner, in, in the corner of my room. But it is somewhat louder than it needs to be. 
uh, for a podcast recording. So I turn it off and I am <laughs> absolutely sweating at the moment. So um, so I'm, I'm going to leave. So hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What Dan doesn't know is, Dan, when Chris and I went down to Bristol, Alex and Pete, at whatever opportunity they could have, brought out this John Lewis fan oh, affairs. Yeah. And like, it says on big text on the front of it, John Lewis. They brought it out when I arrived. They brought it out again when Chris yeah. arrived. And at each time they brought it out, even though it says John Lewis on the front, they felt the need to point out and go, this is a, this is a John Lewis fan. This is a John Lewis fan. As he's just said it again there. Yeah, I know, yeah. Did he ever turn it on? Oh, nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, the thing is, thing is, the thing with a John Lewis fan is, yeah, it keeps you cool, but it keeps you John Lewis cool, which is just this extra little layer of protection and assurance that uh, you're going to be. Uh, what does that I don't mean? Know. Um, listen, uh, I, I'm going to go now. So, um, if you would like to email us about any of the nonsense, if you want to, you know. Any of the nonsense that we've talked about today, stayinginpod.gmail.com, you can reach us there. You can slide. Especially, especially if you have something for our uh, fantastic new feature, Pete Investigates. Yep. <laughs> the crack team. Well, we'll come up with a really interesting kind of name for no, it. Like, it's just called Pete Investigates now. Uh, so, you know, you can send us a, a, an email about that, stayinginpod.gmail.com. You can Sam turn a slide into our DMs. Uh, in uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can find us. It's easy to find us. Staying in podcast, yeah. Uh, and um, what else? Oh, what you could do is this oh. time. Oh, is this a secret? You you could leave a review, but send 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 this to a send, don't don't send this one to a pal, but send a previous one. Maybe the previous one. Yeah, basically. yeah. Send them both. Send send yeah, them both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a you need bill. to listen to both. Yeah. That's what you can say to your friend. Look, listen to both. Otherwise, you won't get the intro. Um, and uh, we'd really, really be very appreciative of it. And uh, we do really love all the lovely things that um, you, you send to us and that you say to us and all the lovely likes and all that sort of stuff. It really is properly lovely. As a peek behind the curtain, like if we, if we, if someone does give us a review, usually like the first person that spots it usually sends it to the others on a WhatsApp. We will have a little giddy oh, little giggle oh, of like, oh, this oh, is fun. Oh. Yeah. And, and just to say um, as well, just a thank you to um, Hachette, and to Coiled Spring as well, they sent us um, Get Ooh. On Board and also uh, Trek 12. They sent you those things, Sam. They didn't send me anything. So um, yeah. That's why Sam uh, said thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank, yeah, exactly. Thanks very much. So um, <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. and he, I was just trying to be nice and he twisted it and made it about you. <laughs> Which could have been the tagline for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> just trying to be nice and you made it all about you. Goodbye.